Now this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will give you what you deserve, for you have taken, solemn vow, for you have taken your solemn vows lightly by breaking your covenant. Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you when you were young, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then I will remember, then you will remember with shame all the evil you have done. I will make your sisters Samaria and Sodom to be your daughters, and even though they are not a part of our covenant, and I will reaffirm my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. You will remember your sins and cover your mouth in silent shame when I forgive you of all that you have done. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Pastor Jim did promise me that they were going to have on a phone in the car a live feed of my sermon so that they could hear me preaching. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you uh, here this morning. Um, just before we get to God a Stranger in our series, um, Mike Suba, who's up here reading the scripture for you, is one of our leadership that we have been uh, engaging with and talking with over uh, the last month or so to reignite a ministry here at Friends Church that I'm excited to talk about here this morning. It is a men's ministry, um, a ministry for men 18 and, and above. And uh, we're going to be specifically k- kicking all of this off in September, September 6th, on a Friday night uh, rally. And uh, something we're really excited about, and you'll, you'll hear all the details as uh, time approaches that. And then in the beginning of October, we're going to begin a once-a-month uh, men's sort of breakfast uh, sharing prayer gathering time uh, early on Saturday mornings, first Saturday of the month. And guys, if that's like your only day to, to sleep in, it's only once a month, so you know maybe... Uh, that would be good for you, and you can come back in time to uh, get going with your day. But something we're so excited about, something that's been really uh, sort of building here, and just I've, I've been sensing a great hunger amongst uh, our guys that uh, we need to get together. We need to uh, hold each other accountable. We need to help one another, one another grow in the Lord. So something we're very much excited about. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, to uh, Ezekiel chapter 16. That's where we're going to be hanging out here this morning in our series, God is Stranger, where we're looking at the stranger parts of the scriptures, not the highlighted bits that we memorize, but maybe the parts that we don't know about or don't recognize and that sometimes cause us a little bit of trouble in trying to figure things out as we're getting to know God uh, more and, and deeply. We've been covering all through the Bible, and uh, we're going to be addressing uh, Ezekiel specifically today, Ezekiel uh, and the stranger. Uh, last Sunday, something really interesting uh, happened. I, I observed on my way to church in the morning, it was probably around 7.30, and I was on my way here last, last Sunday morning, and as I was heading down the road, I, I looked to my left and I saw cars that were turning into a parking lot. And I thought it was really strange because it was 7.30 in the morning on, on a Sunday morning. 
And as I looked further, uh, drove up closer, I noticed that a parking lot was completely full of cars. And I thought, man, what in the world is happening? And I knew, I realized what was actually happening as I drove a little bit further, I saw that there were softball fields and people were all about, there was obviously some kind of softball tournament. It was hot last week. Maybe they were getting ahead of the, the heat of the day and probably chock full and, and all of that. And I thought, wow, that, that's, that's a really interesting phenomenon. Uh, on a Sunday morning, 7.30, that there would be these, these softball tournaments. Uh, because our society here, and I'll just talk about American society, that's, that's kind of a, a newer thing, I'd say, maybe in the, in the last couple decades, isn't it? I mean, it used to be, right, that, that society would all shut down for, for Sundays so that people could go to church. And, and church really was a, a central gathering point for, for a lot of people, Right. I mean, as long as we probably can remember, Christianity has been the, the primary expression uh, or it's the, the primary influence of American society. And church even was the primary social outlet, right? You think even back in the days, maybe our parents, grandparents, and those before them, church was the center of how people got together. That's where just general community happened, right? Right? So people would go to church. If they wanted to have a community event, where would they go? They would go to the church, and usually the church was the center of town. And you can see this actually in, throughout Europe as well. If you're flying into Europe and, and you get close enough where you could see some of the, the, the bird's eye view of some of the, the cities, what's smack dab right in the middle of those, those European towns? By and large, what are they? They're churches, right? Church used to be the center of our culture and our society and our uh, major influence. But things are different now, and I think we all sense that. We don't have to look at a, at a softball game on a Sunday morning to, to recognize that something is happening right now. Something, something's different. Something different is, is going on. And when I looked at that softball game happening, it triggered a memory of five or six, maybe seven years ago, I was at a conference, and there was a, a wonderful speaker that was talking about um, just practical tips on how to move forward as a church, is speaking to a bunch of pastors. And after his great presentation, he broke, we broke up into smaller groups to discuss the, what, what was just presented. And I had taken lots of notes, and I was excited for the conversation to kind of flesh some of that out. Um, but our, I never got to that conversation because uh, what occupied our small group time was a, a gentleman who was just not able to process and to deal with this new thing that, that's happening in our society. And he went on a 30 to 45 minute rant about how that there's no space on Sunday morning anymore. People are busy. People are doing other things. People have have other options to go to. This has been happening for a time, quite some time now. And we as people of faith, we feel that. And it's coming across in lots of different, of different ways. 
And it makes us wonder, it makes us wonder, what is God saying to us in this new era? What is God saying to us in this, in this new season of, of society? And I'm not going to universalize our experience as Americans because God is working all over the globe. But there is something particularly happening here that has caused a lot of us to, to wonder, what, where is God's voice? What, what is God saying in this, in this time? And, and how are we supposed to navigate this? How are we supposed to, to, to respond? And, and, and what I've noticed is that we Christians, we have a hard time agreeing on how to respond and, and how to navigate this and, and what to believe about it and where God's voice is. And it's caused a lot of confusion. And sometimes it's, it's caused quite a bit of, of, of damage. You see... There was a time about 300 years after Jesus when society, Christianity became a primary outlet of society in the Roman Empire. This was when Emperor Constantine converted to the Christian faith and demanded that everybody else was going to become Christian. Before that, though, Christianity did not have that primary influence. What we read about in the scriptures They didn't have that primary influence in the New Testament. They were not the primary social outlet. And so we do have, we do have a biblical roadmap to to navigate some of these things. We do identify, we we are slowly beginning to identify with some of the people that we read about in the New Testament, in the early church, and and how to navigate ourselves as a people of God and as a people of faith in a world that is increasingly secular. And so as we approach this this book of Ezekiel, I think we're going to find some other commonalities because Ezekiel also found himself in a whole new era in the life of God's people. Ezekiel was not first a prophet. He was actually a priest in Judah, in Jerusalem. But as we read about last week with Isaiah and the prophets before uh, Jeremiah as well, they announced that Assyria was coming and then Babylon was coming. And when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the king of Babylon, came in, he ransacked the temple... He attacked and laid siege to the city, and then he stole, he took, he kidnapped 10,000 people from Israel and brought them back into Babylon. And Ezekiel was one of these refugees in exile in Babylon. He's sitting in a, in a refugee camp by the, on the bank of a river, and God comes to him in a vision. The very glory and the presence of God was sitting on a chariot and presented himself to him and gave him a call to explain to him what was happening, what God, where God's voice was in all of this mess, what God was doing in all of this, and what he was supposed to communicate with, um, with the people. Now, this was significant that God would visit him in a foreign land. Because there was this, this strong belief amongst the people that God's dwelling place, that God's city, that God's home was Israel, was Jerusalem, was the temple. That's where God lived. And so if you were going to worship God, you needed to go to that physical space in order to worship God. And it was significant 
that God's people now are carried away into this pagan, this foreign land, and God is presenting himself to Ezekiel, and he's calling Ezekiel out to speak on behalf of God to the people in this foreign exiled land. This is what he says to Ezekiel. He says, the the descendants are impudent and stubborn. I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. So we already get this indication that the task that God is sending Ezekiel out to may not be met with a whole lot of success, that the people may not listen to the message that Ezekiel has been commissioned by God to give them. And on one hand, can you blame them? They have just been devastated. And it wasn't long after they were carried off into Babylon that they got news from a courier that the king of Judah had, had, had made Nebuchadnezzar angry. And so Nebuchadnezzar went back to, to Jerusalem and completely demolished the whole thing. Completely laid waste to all of their homeland. They were, le- they were the only ones left for all that they knew. They were completely filled with devastation for, 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 their, for their future as, as a people of God. It makes us wonder that as we also find ourselves living in a land of exile where we are no longer, where we no longer have perhaps the primary cultural and and sociological influence on those around us, it makes us wonder, would we also be like those people, stubborn, devastated, hard Hard to hear what God might, might say. Now, the role of a prophet, as I said last week, is a very interesting one. The role of the prophet was um, just a, really a messenger. You see, the, you know, don't shoot the messenger, is, uh, by and large, <laughs> the prophets would uh, probably say. But they were sort of a go-between, between God and, and the people. And by and large, what their message was had to do with the covenant, with the the people themselves. And notice that usually when prophets are sent, Old Testament prophets are sent to the people, they're sent to God's people. That the message that God bothers to give to a prophet so that they they can communicate that to the people is, is for the people of faith themselves. It's something that that they are doing that needs some correction. It's something that they are doing that needs to hear from God on. A lot of times we think of prophetic voices to, to those on the outside, but, but by and large in the Old Testament, when a prophet came into town, it was for God's people. And God has this way, you know, of, of sending people that, well, you've got to have a particular kind of person. And, and that's what we find in a lot of the different prophets. They were weird. I mean, they were weird. I mean, they, but they have to be, right? I mean, they're going to, they're going to be going against the grain. They're going to be doing, you know, doing weird things that God asks them to do. I mean, they've got to, uh, they got to be, you know, uh, you know, a, a few tools missing in the, in the toolbox in order to just go ahead and do this, this kind of thing in the first place. 
And, and we see that in, in lots of different um, roles and different things that the, the prophets are, are doing. And Ezekiel was, was no exception. And he, knowing that the people were stubborn, and, and knowing that they were going to be hard of hearing on this, he takes up uh, more extreme measures in order to try to communicate some of these things. And so he engages in these demonstra- uh, demonstrations to try to, to speak to the people. We find this in Ezekiel's chapter 2, 3, and 4. Uh, one time, for example, um, God made him mute for a whole week to, to, to show to the people that... Um, that, that they need to be uh, silent or that they're not responsive uh, to God. Uh, there was a time where Ezekiel, he kind of made this toy Jerusalem, this little uh, play Jerusalem on the ground with, I don't know, with the materials. And then he staged a little attack on Jerusalem to show what was, what was happening. Uh, there was a time to, to show the people how long their punishment was going to be. He, he laid on his side in the middle of the street. He laid on, on his left side for 390 days, and then he turned over on his right side and stayed for another 40 days. He, was, uh, he wanted to show the people what, what they've been doing, and he... he he created this cooking demonstration, you know, like you see on the Food Network or, you know, in Costco, the cooking de- demonstration. And he made barley cakes that were cooked over a pile of cow dung. <laughs> he uh, cut his beard with a sword. He split the trimmings up into three places, and he burned one of them and scattered the other and went around the city and left little pieces of his, his beard in different places. I'm telling you, these guys were really weird. And you think... You think, so if you're there and you're in that place, you're like, I don't know if I'd be listening to this guy, you know? This guy's a, you know, he, he's not quite here. I don't know if I'm going to accept this, this, this message. But that wasn't the only way, that, that wasn't the only reason that God's people were having a hard time with these messages. They were having a hard time because it certainly wasn't what they wanted to hear. I said this last week, usually when an Old Testament prophet came into town, it was bad news, (laughs) something that they were not doing. And by and large, they had violated the the covenant. One of those tough messages that we find littered throughout the Old Testament is something that I would like, I usually call the elephant in the room when we talk about the Old Testament. And that is the wrath of God. And I don't know if you've spent time thinking about the, the wrath of God. It gives you a certain kind of shuddering feeling when you, when you think about it. What, what is this? And I, I hear lots of people talking, well, that was the Old Testament. And, and we live in the New Testament now. That's different. That that was, uh, and almost talking about two different gods. Like, that's the angry God. And, but, but with Jesus, we have the, the, the loving God. And, and, and I came across this one time. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was in the conference room, and I was reading the Old Testament, and a guy came up. He said, what are you, what are you reading? I showed him. I was reading one of the prophets, and I was like, isn't it wonderful? We get these messages of hope. And he looked at me really funny and had this skeptical look on his face. He's like, you're kidding, right? I said, no, it's, it's, it's in there. It's in there. Let me show you. He's like... I, I don't see it. I don't see it. 
You know, the Old Testament has kind of a bad rap. That the Old Testament talks about this angry, vengeful, bloodthirsty God, and that the New Testament God, well, he's loving and, and kind and grace, gracious and, and merciful. And let alone, let's never mind that the New Testament isn't so hunky-dory sometimes. But the Old Testament, if we do a careful reading of it, in these books of prophecy, if we do a careful reading of it, and how the messages progress, and what they are meant to deliver to God's people, I think there's more there than we might give credit for. So, as an example, I'd love to journey a little bit through Ezekiel chapter 16 to, as a, a, an example of this. Ezekiel chapter 16 is, is a singular prophecy in the book of prophecy. And uh, this particular prophecy starts off with explaining to, to God's people, helping them to remember God's role in their life from the very beginning. And he uses this very visual, this very stark image that they were like a newborn baby left out to struggle in the desert. And they talk about the sort of kicking in their, the babies kicking in their own blood. It's, it's very visual. It's very stark. It's meant to create uh, a reaction. But then God comes by the, 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 in, in the story, in the prophecy, the figure of God comes by as this sort of benevolent uh, patriarch. And and he comes up to that, the baby that's struggling and fighting for its life in the left, abandoned in the desert. And he says this. He says, live and grow up like a plant of the field. And immediately, the, the child begins to grow and to blossom into a, a young woman. And then it goes on and it talks about how then the, that patriarch gets betrothed or engaged to that woman and uh, which is to signify the covenant that God established with with his people Israel and they enter into this this marriage but then there's a turning point that that happens in this that we get, begin to see the charge against the people here in this particular prophecy it says then but she, uh, she trusted in her own beauty and begins then to describe that this, this, this woman that has, was, was rescued from abandonment that before his very eyes in an instant was grown into this, this blossoming young woman after being betrothed or, or married and in covenant with this figure, she begins to prostitute herself with all the, quote, passerbys, all the people around. This stark, just strong image delivering to, um, to God's people. But there's, there's, there's this movement that happens throughout this, this prophecy, and I want to take you through some of the highlights of this movement. And, and in this, I'm going to show you, it's going to highlight for you a repeated phrase 
that especially in the Old Testament, the way that they wrote and everything, if you see a repeated phrase like this, it's something that is to be remembered. Because by and large, remember that these are spoken, and they're spoken to people who are, can't read or illiterate. And so these repeated phrases, if you read repeated phrases in the Bible, pay attention to that. It's done on purpose so that people would remember these particular highlights. And so as God begins to continue to describe, he says, in all your detestable practices and your prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, kicking about in your blood. They did not remember their own rescue. They did not remember where they had come from and how God had shown up at the last hour to rescue them. They failed to remember. And so go a little bit further, and then we have a, a description of God's response, of the divine response. It says, because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things, therefore I have returned your deeds upon your head, says the Lord God. Have you not committed lewdness beyond all your abominations? So we have this terrible news to the people. And wrapped within that, we have this sort of anger of God that, that comes out. And listen, if this was the end of the prophecy, then I would agree with the stereotype that the Old Testament is filled with all of this rage and anger and wrath and destruction and all of those different things. But this isn't the end. In fact, this part of the prophecy contributes, it builds into something more important. And in and, and that more important part, it, it comes, it begins with my favorite word in the Old Testament. My favorite word in the Old Testament is yet. Yet. Yet I will remember my covenant with you. Think about that. I will, you have not remembered, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish with you an everlasting covenant. Even when God's people are not faithful to the covenant, God is always, always faithful. Even when we are lost and confused and go our own way, even if we've made gods for ourselves, little kingdoms of our own life, even if we, we have, have, have sinned and gone away from God's uh, purpose and plan for our life, God will always be faithful. Always is faithful. And that then leads to the conclusion, which is then you will remember. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. And you heard the rest of that scripture read for you um, earlier by, by my friend Mike. We have not remembered, and yet God is always faithful to the covenant. This is by and large what you see in Old Testament prophecy. And we get confused sometimes because sometimes the, the, the you have not remembered or the, the, when people go the wrong way and there's been a bunch of knuckleheads, they, 
that goes, can go on for lots of chapters. And so we think that because of the quantity of literature on how God's people have messed up, and the quantity of literature on how God is not happy about that, we begin to develop a narrative that that's, that's who God is. And we forget the yet. We forget that, that it's all building to this one little word, and yet, and yet I will be faithful to you. And I'm not about to try to explain to you the wrath of God here in this message. But I look at this and I have to admit that the impact of God's yet is strengthened because of the message of God's wrath and unhappiness and anger. God's grace by definition, requires that we understand the impact of our sin. God's resurrection in Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Easter comes precisely because two days before we celebrate Good Friday. There is no love in the way that we grasp it without understanding that there is this great difference between us and God and that God has something to say uh, about that. God is, is always faithful. And so as we also find ourselves a people in exile, the challenge to us and the invitation for us as God's people is to Consider what is God saying to us? And I know that it's temp tempting for us as God's people when we feel the pressure of a, a growing secular society, when we feel that pressure, it's, it's common for us, it's natural for us to want to react, to respond, to go to Twitter, to fight back, to shout louder. And I'm not going to tell you here this morning how we should necessarily respond because that's not a me thing, that's an us thing. But in this time, in this growing, exiled season of God's people, have we taken the time to listen? Have we postured ourselves to even listen to what God might be saying, particularly to us in this particular age? You know that God's speaking, right? You know that God is speaking to his people. Like right now, God is speaking. And the question is, uh, as strange as it might seem, knowing and believing that we, there is a strange God out there sometimes that, that, that we're, we don't all know all the the, the, the depths and the, and, and the breadth of, of, of God, and we're lost in that, but that God is speaking to us. And so, have we taken the time individually, have we taken the time corporately to, to listen? To listen to what God might be saying to us personally in this age. Uh, Chris Kendai, in the book, God is Stranger, that um, inspired this series, he, 
He says this, just as Ezekiel the prophet heard and obeyed God's voice while far away from home, so we in our spiritual identity as strangers in a strange land need to listen attentively to the voice of God. So I don't know if I have a whole lot of wisdom beyond this, but this is something that I have taken very personally recently, very, very seriously. And so I'd like to offer just three practical things to, to be reminded of as we seek to listen, as we seek to listen. Very simply, it goes like this. The first is to make space. Make space. If we're going to listen to God's voice, we've got to make space. We have to make space physically. We have to be able to physically carve out margin in order to hear because there are so many voices. And we need to make space mentally. So if you hear at all what God continues to scream to me, put down your phone. (laughs) Make space. Sit. And I actually designated a chair in my house as the prayer chair. So that I can specifically go, and when I'm in there, I just, my, my mind goes, this is where I put everything aside. And I sit in the quiet. Make space. Try, fight, claw, whatever you got to do. I know, young parents, I know that you're so busy. I know that you've got so many things to do, and it's so hard. Fight, claw, do what you need to do. Make space. The second is don't rush. Don't rush. Reading the Bible is not a relay race. You get no token in heaven for how many times you've read it through. Do you know that, right? Sit on some words. Rest even if you've only read one scripture. Hang on every syllable. Read with the expectation that God would speak at any moment in time. And the last one, which was God's word to the people, remember. Remember that God was there even before you recognized him. We love because he first loved us. Remember that God has always been there. And whatever new ground you tread physically, God's already been there. The Holy Spirit has already occupied that space. God is already there. And so whatever voice, whatever, revel- whatever thing you would, you would want to know from God, whatever new visions you might see from God, we need to remember that it's not necessarily to be discovered, it's to be revealed. It's not like we have to go out and, 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 and find something new. The spiritual practice of listening is uncovering our, the scales from our eyes so that we can see what's been there all along. It's meant to be revealed not necessarily discovered. God is speaking. God is speaking. Have we allowed ourselves to listen? And this was Ezekiel's message to the people in exile with pressures all around them. And will that be our word here this morning? So, I'd like to do something um, to put you in your, out of your comfort zone a little bit. Normally, 
as many of you know, we have the band come up and play music and we close things out, allow you to reflect and all of that. What I'd like to do is give us a little bit of time to simply be silent and to listen. And I probably will wait longer than what you're comfortable with and it might get a little awkward, I'm just telling you up front. You might hear the HVAC system running, you might hear someone's cell phone go off, but you might want to check to make sure it's not yours. And to just sit. How, many, how much time do we have to really just sit before the Lord? Prepare your hearts. Whatever you need to do. And listen. And may you be blessed with eyes to see and ears to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us, God's children. Know that wherever you go out these doors, wherever you go, whatever new ground you will tread, God is already there and has been working the scene. 
go in the blessing of his presence. The blessing of his presence given as a gift for God's children. And go in his peace. Amen.